Uh, if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to uh, Luke chapter 11. We're in an overgrowth series, kind of, kind of right in the middle of Luke. Uh, Luke, uh, Luke writes his gospel. He writes this journey of Jesus almost like a travel, uh, like a travel guide. First, uh, Jesus is teaching in and around the area of Galilee, and now from chapters 11 through 19, for, for almost 10 chapters, Jesus resolutely turns his face. Remember a few weeks we, we talked about having a game face. He resolutely turns his attention uh, into the wind. He faces into the wind. He turns his face towards Jerusalem. And it's in this period that, that he really challenges those who are going to be his followers with some deep teaching, dedicated uh, it, to, to challenge and to cause you to grow. Uh, if you guys are following along in our reading guide, you, is anybody reading? Are you following along? Yes, Adam, we're all reading. Because we love you and respect you so much. As our Yeah, so we've got reading guides. Uh, on a, it's, it's online and it's outside. I, I encourage you to pick one up, follow along with the reading, because uh, I can't touch on all of the text every single week, but uh, uh, it'll really kind of set you up every week for what we'll be talking about. Uh, if you did read, you know uh, this week is going to be really interesting. Um, today's going to be fun. Let's dive in it together. Uh, we'll begin in uh, verse 14 of uh, Luke chapter 11. It says, One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And he knew their thoughts, so he said, hey, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcist? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has, what are those next three words? Arrived among you. And I love this next part. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him and strips him of his weapons and carries off his belongings. Um, how many of you watched the, the inauguration this week? Did you guys see it? Did you watch it? Uh, why did you watch it? History in the making. That's right. You know, it's part of uh, it's part of our uh, America. It's part of our it's our, part of our laws. It's part of and, and one of the catchphrases, one of the one of the things you saw over and over again is, uh, at least from the media perspective, one of the things that celebrated one of the taglines was, "This is about the peaceful transfer of what power." You guys are interested in power? <laughs> Sermon concluded. Yeah. 
Oh, Charlie, help us. Um, I think we're I, I, I think we're all interested in power. In in authority. Who gets a say? Who gets to decide what happens? Who gets to decide um, peace or war or what laws or rules we're going to follow or have as a, have as a nation or country? Like we're interested in power, even in, even in your business se- settings, maybe even in your family setting. Like you're interested in, in who gets what they want, right? Who, who has the power? Who has the authority? And in this passage, that's exactly what's at stake. The, the people see Jesus cast out a demon and then they immediately question his power and authority. Well, if he can do this, who said he could do this? And, 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 and shouldn't we have a vote on who, who has this kind of a power and authority? And, and who made you this guy with this kind of power, with, with this authority? How does it make you feel to know that one person is given power or authority maybe over you? People are constantly asking Jesus to prove his authority. They're asking for a sign, a miraculous sign of his power. He just cast out a demon, and then what? Two verses later, they say, show us a sign that that proves your authority. Jesus would say later that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And they speculate, well, his power, his power must come from who? If he's casting out demons, then his power must come from the prince of demons. His power must come from Satan. And Jesus just with uh, almost just kind of with a logical argument squashes that. He says, you know how civil war, you know, it's, it's always going to doom that kingdom, that country. Any, any internal fighting is, is always is destined to fail. And then he uses an example of a strong man. And, and I love this. He said, what if a strong man like Satan, and he gives Satan a a lot of credit here, fully armed is what it says, uh, is guarding his palace. If Satan fully armed is guarding his palace and, and what he possesses is now safe because he's there guarding it. He says safe until what? Someone tougher, meaner stronger, more fierce, comes and overpowers him. I love the example that uh, uh, Francis Chan talks about. Uh, so at Francis Chan ch- Church, uh, uh, well, it's a preacher story, so you never know if it's f- fully true or not. He tells a story about uh, uh, these strong, this couple at his church that were incredibly strong. Like, like not even, not a little bit strong, but, but the husband and wife actually competed in the world's strongest man. And the wife competed in the world's strongest woman competition. And you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking, have you seen this? Have you seen this on, on TV? So there is a competition to determine who is the strongest man in the world. And like these guys, and, and there's a competition for the women too, these, these guys and girls are incredibly strong. Most of them are huge. I weigh about 220, and the average weight of these guys is like 340, 350. And they're like 
picking up boulders and mountains and cars and they're bench pressing. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pounds and chances. The, this couple, the, he actually had uh, a couple that competed in these competitions in his church. And he said, now imagine if that couple, who is the strongest, like the strongest people on the planet, imagine if that couple had kids. When you were a kid, did you ever have that thing, like, like you, with that argument with, your, with the neighbor kids, like my dad could beat up your dad? So imagine the world's strongest couple has kids, and their parents really can beat up anybody. Like, like if your parents are the world's strongest man, like, you would walk, you'd walk to school different, wouldn't you? You'd walk around different. You would, you would have this knowledge that, man, I am untouchable. You could be the scrawniest little wimp, but having, you know, like, hey, dad's got my back. You'd want him to come to your school lunch just so kids go, Pah. you'd be like, that's my dad. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. And that's the example that Jesus uses this, uh, about strength and authority. He reminds us of his power, right? He says, what if this isn't Satan or demons? What if this isn't some sort of internal fighting? But what if you have a father who is the world's strongest man? How would that change things? Would you live differently? Would you walk around differently? Would you think about the world differently? I love what it says in verse 20. It says, but if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, literally it is the finger of God. If you see just the power of Jesus' finger, uh, of God's finger at work in me, what does that say about him? What kind of confidence is there for us and what does that tell you about God's kingdom? Let's keep going. In verse 24, we'll skip ahead just a single verse. 24 through 26. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. This is kind of a weird ghost story, right? <laughs> like, can't we just talk about love, Jesus? Like, like can't we... <laughs> This, where is he going with all of this? This is a grim and, and, and terrible story. Uh, so a spirit leaves this, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, leaves a man and travels out into the desert, but, but can't find any rest, so returns to the man. And when he returns to the man, he finds that the man's, the, his, his heart, his, his life, his, the internal part, part of him is all swept and in order. It's like houses is straight, everything is clean and tidy. And what the Spirit finds is not a, a, a you're not welcome here sign, a do not enter sign. What the Spirit finds is a nice, comfortable 
welcome place. In fact, he feels so welcome that he does what? Invites friends over. Invites seven more evil or unclean spirits to come and to take up residence within him. That says he's worse off than before. What in the world does this mean? <laughs> uh, have you ever been around a, um, a smoker, uh, someone that smokes that, uh, that's, been, that's trying to quit? Have you seen this? Been around this? Maybe, maybe it's happened to you. Well, what happens when, it, when a smoker tries to quit? What happens to their, their behaviors? Uh, one of the things I think that happens is that, that they often replace one addiction with another. Have you seen this? So uh, they're used to making this like contact with their mouth, and so, so sometimes they, they go to, to eating or, or chewing gum or, or placing things in or around their mouth. The, the same kind of thing happens with alcoholics, too. Um, so you see alcoholics, uh, uh, in, in a lot of cases, they, they've walked away, they've turned their back on alcohol, and what do they usually find? Uh, if you go to any AA meeting in the world, what are you going to find on a table? Coffee. And they find some sort of that, you know, they've turned from alcohol and now they've found this, this kind of caffeine. And, and the message is like, we're this habitual people, most of us. You know, it's not easy for us just to stop a habit. We must replace it. Because if we don't, we leave ourselves vulnerable. I love what a, uh, Barclay said in, in his commentary about this text, he said, he said, you got to fill a man with something. Isn't that true? It's not enough to just drive out evil. Good must come in. We cannot leave a person's soul empty. It's not enough to, to banish the evil thoughts and habits. We must replace them. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry for my sin. But there's a whole teaching about repentance and turning to God. The best way to avoid evil is to do what? Good. Like going to the Nashville Rescue Mission. Right? I love uh, this quote I saw. It said, The loveliest garden I ever saw was so full of flowers that there was scarcely room for a weed to grow. Flowers must be sown and planted until the space is filled up. Think about this in the, in the world of your thoughts. Can you just choose not to think those thoughts anymore or must you think about something else? We must replace them. We never become good by, doing, by not doing things, but by filling life, filling our lives, filling ourselves, filling the empty places within us with good and lovely things. Jesus takes this a step further, and, and, and I'm not going to read it. It's in, your, it's in your text if you want to, 
want to read it. But in the next section, it's, it's titled The Sign of Jonah. And immediately Jesus pulls up this teaching about Jonah. You guys remember this story uh, from, from children's ministry? Jonah is chosen by God, picked by God. Jonah, I want you to take the message of, of repentance to the people of Nineveh. And Nineveh is like the worst, I mean, the Imagine the worst people you could ever imagine. I mean, they're, they're cruel and hateful. They're, they're murderers and killers. They're completely immoral. And Jonah is repulsed by the idea of even going and speaking to them. And he tries to get out of it, and he tries to get away, and, and the Lord uses this great fish. <laughs> uh, in fact, if you actually read this story, uh, uh, Jonah would rather drown himself than, than follow what God has to say. And uh, God actually sends the fish to rescue him. Anyway, Jonah begrudgingly, you see him like kind of kicking the ground, finds his way to Nineveh, and it says he spends three days marching through Nineveh, preaching a message of repentance, telling the people of Nineveh to turn to God, or they'll be destroyed, or they'll be annihilated. And you remember what happens? (laughs) They, They do it. And Jonah is stunned, jaw hitting the ground like he can't believe it. The people of Nineveh actually listen, and they actually, the whole city, the king included, put on sackcloth and ashes. The whole city repents, and they, they turn from God, and they stop their evil behavior. And Jonah is stunned. In fact, he's, Jonah's really angry because <laughs> he'd rather them be burned and destroyed, Right? But the whole, the whole city turns to God. They even say, maybe God will change his mind and forgive us. And what does God do? He does. He forgives them. They received the word of God through Jonah. And Jesus reminds the people that are around him of this story. He says, you are going to receive it. And it's one of these, these techniques in Luke that, that uh, Jesus is speaking to a crowd there, but he's also speaking to us here now. He said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Okay. And that sign is that God spoke through Jonah to a people But he said, you're not going to get Jonah. He said, instead of Jonah, you get something even better. You get me. And now you have a choice like the people of Nineveh had. Your choice is to recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, that I really am who I am, who I say I am, that I really have the power, the, the finger of God, the authority of God in me to accept my words, to accept my teaching, to follow the example of the people of Nineveh, to repent. But Jesus speaks to the people, the crowd immediately before him and says, where Nineveh repented and accepted the word of God, even though you have me, which is a greater sign than Jonah, you've turned your back on it kind of an uncomfortable teaching. It's a teaching about opportunity. Like we who have received the word of God have an opportunity and we have a we have a privilege. 
I'm not even going to use the word responsibility, but, but we who have received the word of God have an opportunity, a privilege to respond to it. But far too many of us live in empty houses. Are you with me? We have the opportunity to fill our lives with not just the good, but to fill our lives with God. And we don't take advantage of it. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, do you guys uh, know William uh, Tyndale? I know, I know Clint probably knows this guy, William Tyndale. So uh, was an English uh, scholar in the, uh, uh, in the 15th century. Uh, he, was a, he was an English scholar, the, the, sorry, he was a 16th, 15th to 16th century, but an English scholar. He was the first to use the, the Hebrew text and the Greek text to translate the Bible into English. Uh, it, it happened in uh, about 1530. He was the first one in England to, to translate the whole Bible into English. Um, the, the first English translation of the Bible in England. He was, and then he was the first one to utilize the printing press to make the Bible available to the masses. Now, that's really cool and neat and impressive but maybe there's something you don't know. In England, from the 7th century all the way up into the time of Tyndale um, to the early 1600s, it was illegal to possess any portion of the Bible in English. In fact, if caught, it would cost you your life. And when Tyndale made a decision to translate the Bible into English, the whole thing into English for the people of England, he knew it would cost him his life. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. In 1536, for bringing the Bible into English, he was murdered, he was, he was killed by strangulation, and then his body was burned at the stake for heresy. His last words, his dying words, his dying prayer was that, it, these are his words, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. What he wanted was the king to see the value of God's word for every person. And he gave his life so that the Bible could be printed in English. The Lord answered his prayer um, less than a hundred years later, the first edition of the King James Version Bible was printed. It, I think it was a 1611. It was printed. And I don't know if you know this or not, but that Bible was printed because of Tyndale's sacrifice. And even the, some of you still like that King James Version Bible. I think you're crazy, but that's fine. You can, you can hold on to it. Old English 1611. Um, you can hold on to it. Uh, but I want you to know that that Bible, uh, the translation of that King James Version Bible is 85% Tyndale's Bible. 85% of that Bible, of the, the King James Version, comes directly from Tyndale's 
translation. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because how many of you have a Bible today? How many of you have the, word, the very word of God at your fingertips? What, when, when 500 years ago, people were, were, would have done anything. They would have stayed up all night long just to hear these words read to them. They, they would have made any sacrifice just to hear the words of God, much less, much less hold them. For hundreds of years, it was illegal. It, you couldn't even possess these words. And now, imagine this. Every person, just about every person on the planet, has access to these very words of God that people fought and bled and died for. Yet how, how many of us take advantage of it? Instead of taking advantage, we take it for granted, right? Think about our time, even here this morning, a time to worship together. This is a freedom that generations and generations, centuries of people never could have imagined. You get it? Are you with me? Like, like, like this freedom to even be here in this space. People have bled and died and hoped and prayed for this moment, for this opportunity, for, for all people, even in places in our world today. You couldn't do this. You would be murdered. You would be killed. There are places here today, and they would, the people working in those places would beg for a time like this. And how do, this is, this, maybe this is too cynical, how do too many of us celebrate, how, many, how do too many of our neighbors celebrate the awesome freedom to worship and to read God's word together? How do, how do we celebrate it? By doing nothing. We celebrate the amazing freedom we have by not worshiping. I hate that there's no traffic on Sunday mornings, right? Like one day a week in Nashville and Franklin, where, what is the one day a week that there's zero traffic? Sunday. When that was a freedom that, that countless people have given their lives so that we could have. And Jesus said, he said, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. Are you with me? You're going to receive this incredible word, this incredible message from God. What are you doing with it? Your house, the inner part of yourself, is it swept and clean and ready to go? Or are you filling it not just with the good, but with the godly right in between these two sections in verse 27 and 28 a woman speaks up from the crowd go ahead and put that on the screen as Jesus was speaking uh, a woman in the crowd Charlie power here this is what it was about Um, (laughs) a woman in the crowd called out God bless your mother, the womb from which you came and the breast that nursed you. And Jesus replied, even more blessed, even more blessed are all who hear 
the word of God and do what? What's it say? Even more blessed are those who hear this word and fill their house with it. Are you with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I just want to share a few closing thoughts. In verse 23, another uncomfortable verse in this whole thing, and, and I hesitate because we're kind of in a positive place. I, I, I want to hold you there. I want to hold you there. I want to hold you there, but I don't want you to miss verse 30, 23. In verse 23, Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. He said, all right, so, so if you've received this sign of Jonah, you've received this word of God, you've received this great thing, and you can't just be neutral. You can't. Like, I, 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 I just, you, you just can't do it. There's, there's no place for neutrality in the Christian life. Jesus would even talk later about hot or cold or what's going to happen. Like, like you, you, this word can't just hit you and, and not somehow take up, res, not take up residence in you. Are, are you with me? And, and I, I don't think Jesus is trying to be cruel or hateful or anything, but he, he said, you're either helping to gather or you're helping to scatter. scatter. You're, you're either on the way or in the way. He said, you have received the sign of Jonah, even a, a, a greater sign than, than Jonah. And you have an opportunity and a privilege to join the family of God, to hear the word of God, but even deeper, to put it into practice in your life, to fill your house, your soul with the things of God there's no room for evil to reside in us. We must pursue God. We must pursue the necessary good. One final word, just to remember who your father is in this whole thing. I don't know uh, what you might be facing, but Jesus reminds us that in the midst of all of this, he said, you know, Satan may be strong. He may be powerful. He may have armor. He may be really working really hard on your life. But remember, you have one who is even stronger advocating for you. You have a God who is greater, a God who is stronger, a Father who is for you. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and uh, dismiss you to a time of communion. And if God's put it on your heart to respond, I'm just going to move to the back. And I'd love to receive you there, pray for you there. Maybe your house has been swept and in order and you feel those dark forces creeping in. Maybe for too long, you've just been trying to avoid evil without really filling yourself with God and his word. Maybe you've struggled with living kind of a disciplined, obedient life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And man, that, then we're here to help you navigate that way too because I don't think you can do it by yourself. It's not gonna be possible. So if God's put it on your heart to respond, which I, which I hope he has,
I'm just going to move to the back and receive you there. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, it's Sometimes it's, frankly, God, it's confusing and, and difficult. Um, it's, it's challenging. But God, also in it, I see, I see goodness. I see truth. I see your deep love and concern for us. Father God, now I pray that each of us would look into our own houses, look into our own, our own spiritual houses and, and see what's there. Because, Father God, if, if all we're trying to do is avoid evil, then, then somehow we've missed this, this purpose you have for us. Somehow we've missed the, the whole kingdom. And so, Father God, I, I pray that if evil is residing in us, that you would release us from it, that you would drive it from, from within us. And, Father God, with love and accountability, may we as a church help each other to fill our lives with your word to put your word into practice, to pursue good. Father, we can't do it by ourselves. We need you to move and act. I ask that your spirit would move in us now in a powerful way. Father God, can think of no better time, uh, no better experience than the, a time of communion for this to happen. And so God, as we enter into this space where we take the, the bread and the cup representing your life given for us. Father God, may we fill ourselves with you. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy time of communion together.